As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's go. Let's go. You know, we, we did this yesterday, right? Harm and I did our regular episode of the VanCast, and then basically as our esteemed producer Jeff Demet hit send or post, all of a sudden the Luke Shen trade happened. And, you know, really when we look at what's happened in the last week, really dating back to the Bohorvat trade, it speaks to maybe some good process, which we haven't said enough of with this organization. And despite their messaging about, retool versus rebuild you know we we got the Bo Horvat trade there were some tangible assets back a first round draft pick that could have been worth a lot you know a young prospect and Achiratu that that had a ceiling and and Beauvillier they've got some good things out of and then a couple of other trades involving uh, you know the Riley Stillman move and then the trade with the Rangers and everything looked like it was turning into some some good process and then all of a sudden this bombshell absolutely drops Philip Ronick coming to Vancouver from Detroit for a first and a second. The first they acquired in the Islander trade and a second. Oh, yeah, fourth is coming back the other way. That'll make up for it. And all of a sudden, the fan base is flat out irate. Well, they should be. They should be. Um, I'm sure the Canucks think they're competing for something, but what, I can't be exactly sure. It's certainly not the Stanley Cup, right? It, It doesn't even you know, durable competitive window during which that's a realistic possibility. It feels like everything in desperate and stubborn fashion is being pushed into the center of the table for next season. And, you know, I I view this as a particularly risky deal for the same reasons, frankly, that I was relatively effusive, I think, uh, despite the headline on the Bo Horvat trade reacts about the Horvat return, right? Like I love the upside that the Vancouver Canucks got when they bought a short position on the New York Islanders uh, with that pick that could confer to next year and potentially be a lottery pick. And, you know, one thing that sort of, for me, like Philip Peronik's a good player. He's, an, he's a rare piece in that he's a 25-year-old, relatively cost-controlled right-handed defenseman. But what makes this deal galling, like really tough for me to take, isn't even the usual like where they're at in their rebuild or the fact that it's like a parody version of the 
gamble that the Washington Capitals placed on Rasmus Sandin or, or any of those factors. What really makes it a deal for me that I have to just sort of shake my head at is, like, wh- why is there no protection for the Canucks? Why is the pick not conditional in the event it confers to next season on it being lower than Vancouver's pick? Right? Like, in trading for Philip Peronic, the Canucks have opened up a possibility that, like, say both them and the Islanders fall flat next season. Say both of them are picking in the top 11. Say they're both in the draft lottery and say it's the Islanders pick that comes up. Yeah, you're right. Like, that, like what, you, you're telling me the trade for Philip Heronik falls apart if you don't keep a pick swap possibility in the event that the pick confers? Come on. To me, that part of the deal, it, like, and it's the same factor. I'm not being unfair here, right? Like, I weighted the upside of that pick hugely. In the Canucks acquiring Bo Horvat, I have no understanding of why the Canucks haven't protected their downside in trading an asset that potentially valuable for. But isn't it just is it just that caliber defender? But is it just that? Because when you look at this, is a first and a second too high for this? Is it too high for Heronic now? Right. I mean, we, and, and to go back to your point, it, it is kind of some of the same thing in terms of timing on the rebuild, right? Like they're making this move now and you're, you're giving up a first and a second is the price in and of itself context withstanding. Is it not too high? I'll let Harmon take it. It depends on whether Heronic can sustain his breakout level performance this season. Right, because you look at him and he's he's a twenty five year old right shot defenseman. Earlier in his career there have been some question marks in terms of his own zone play, and you would look at him as he's a guy that can drive offense, make plays, move the puck, but there were still those deficiencies that you know, you'd look at him as more of a flawed top four defenseman, whereas this season he's taken for the most part a really substantial step forward in rounding out his game and um, having more of an all-around two-way impact, especially, you know, his metrics, for example, over the last month or so might have uh, cratered, but that's partially because the Red Wings went away from the Sherratt Sherratt, um, cider pairing and had Sherratt playing with Heronik, which Ben Sherratt's impact on, on defense partners at this point in the <laughs> negative direction is, is well known. So the point is like if Hironi can sustain what he is this season, he's a high end top four guy in that case, independent of whether the Canucks should have made this trade or not, the price is, is reasonable, but that's where we'll have to see, right? I'm sure the Red Wings l- looked at it as like a case of the player's value is, is at an all time high and he's going to be an RFA with arbitration rights. And at the end of next season, he's going to have big point totals. He's going to have, um, a lot of you know high ice time, so they decided to cash in while they while they could. I think it's going to come down to that ultimately. So to me, the price is you know it's steep, but that in and of itself isn't the biggest. You know, it, it's not the end of the world. It's just the wrong time for me uh, to sort of make this uh, sort of move. Yeah, and I I just want to add on to that. I I think for me the price is like pretty close to fair. The fact that Jacob Chikorin netted an additional second in 2026 and, and Chikorin's obviously a different caliber of defender. In my opinion, he's got a far longer track record of being like a star level player 
Whereas Hironic this season really is the first year that I would have said, hey, he's played at a top pair caliber level, right? Um, you know, the fact that that's an extra second, it's 2026, which makes it feel like it's lesser value, but that's a pretty valuable asset. You know, like that's a meaningful difference. Hironic has the advantage of being right-handed. He's a 25-year-old right-handed defenseman. Like these are expensive pieces. For me, the price would basically be fair, even though it wouldn't make sense for where the Canucks are at the moment in their sort of team building cycle, that the price would be basically fair if the Canucks had properly conditioned the pick that they're surrendering. It, it just, to me, it is galling that they didn't, you know, protect their butts as it were, protect themselves from the downside risk that the pick that they're surrendering is a potential lottery pick. If, if they'd done that, I'd say, hey, I don't like the deal for them. I don't think it makes sense for them, but at least the value is close. But there's value. Th- this value doubles because when you make a move of this magnitude and you give up two such important assets, you are going to re-sign this player. So what's he going to come in at, at his current point totals, when they've got to make a decision at some point next year on what they're going to do with him, right? I mean, is he going to come in at five and a half? Can they afford to be paying that at this point, given what their cap situation is? So for me, you know, we talk about when you give up on a player uh, and you get nothing back, you're at least shedding a salary and there's opportunity cost that comes with that. This is going to be kind of a double jeopardy type of move, right? Because they're not giving up a first and second just to kick the tires on him like they might be doing with Anthony Beauvillier, right? Where we could see him get flipped next year. This player's here to stay, guys. Yeah, and I'm sure from management's perspective, they look at the timing of Myers' the $6 million coming off the books and think that, okay, we can stake that sort of long-term bet on... Um, on Hironic, so the you know the the con- the next contract he signs, I mean it's too early to sort of project out you know where it's going to land in at. I think the bigger sort of takeaway is looking at the team's big picture sort of cap outlook now, and after next season, you're looking at a scenario where once Patterson gets his big payday. Hironic's not going to be on, you know, quite this team-friendly of a rate anymore. All of your core players are market value, and you've got inefficient deals like the OEL one on top of that. It's hard to build a really, really high-end team when you don't have a high number of these bargain sort of surplus value contracts, right? Where you look at look at how many of these deals that Colorado had when they won the cup last year, right? McKinnon, superstar making 6.3. Byram leading the Avs in 5-5 five five ice time in the cup final on his ELC. Nichushkin scoring like 52 points in 64 games while making 2.5 million. Kadri, 87 points in 71 games as a, uh, a $4.5 million player. Uh, Devon Taves providing legitimate number one D value at $4.1 million. I mean, even look at the Bruins this season, right? You want to talk about how, in a hard cap league, you fit so many good players uh, under the cap. Well, the Bruins don't have a single forward who's making $7 million or higher, right? Bergeron and Krejci are like $3.5 million combined as you want to punch down the middle. So the issue that you run into, I think, moving forward is that your best players are already, like, you're paying a lot for them. So how do you find... How do you build enough value around them without running out of cap space? 
Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and and you have to think there's another move coming here, right? Uh, in and around this, like first of all, Patrick Alvin is not spoken today. Um, he is not, and he's not speaking, and he has been requested. Uh, and again, this isn't about media, but uh, like obviously, they the the organization understands the reaction to this deal, how this deal in and of itself is being graded in the marketplace. And as we said off the top, we thought there was some good process happening until now, but. You, you wonder, and, and all the other guys like Kyle Dubas and every busy GM has been talking daily. But yep. Patrick Alvin, who generally you can tell doesn't like talking to the media, hasn't spoken at all, knows he's getting crucified here. So maybe he wants to wait until Friday when the totality of his work can be graded. And certainly See, Brock Besser's still out there. So is more coming. I do think we should just note, like, that's way outside what we would reasonably expect from the Canucks organization, right? Like this, not this organization. This is par for the course. It's par for the course now. Yeah. Now, but Jim Benning would have been available. Say hundred percent. We like about his work and we, and you know, we, we, I mean, shot our shot from, from a bullets perspective over the years. Right. But he would have been available after a trade of this magnitude. Like I, 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 you know, I, I don't understand why they wouldn't speak tonight, given that they surrendered a first and a second round pick. I mean, this is an opportunity where you should be speaking. Like, I, I think that's a no brainer uh, to the point where, you know, uh, I mean, where, where would I be reluctant to have said about me where I, you know, in the organization's shoes is that you're hiding. But I think it's a fair thing to wonder about in the wake of. I think I think it's clear. I think it's clear he's hiding. And the Rangers deal is a small deal. The Stillman deal is a small deal. Shen was probably thought of a little differently. Um, you know, you probably should have spoken at that point. But again, it's a third round pick for for a depth defenseman. You can justify that. You can't that point, justify. At that point, you know, you've made those three minor deals. They're typical deadline deals. I think it's fine. You don't you don't owe your fans at that point much more of an explanation because we all understand it. Like naturally yeah. we understand those trades. I think fans are owed a little more context as to why this trade happened from the organization. Yeah, I would agree. And, and like I said, for me, I can, I can only think that there's, there's gotta be something else coming. There has to be, because if, if he's waiting, it could get spun back positively, right? In terms of, okay, they, you know, they trade Brock Besser and they get back a second round pick. And, you know, you, you can talk about the entire week that was and, and do the laundry list and do the math at that point about what they gave up and what they brought back. So that's, that's my only thought. And again, that doesn't justify not speaking today, but I can only think that he's just waiting so he can get the entire bit of work graded if there's one more move to come. But, you know, I, again, he should have talked today. We're not going to make this about the media, but we will certainly make it about the decision that was. Um, you know, what does this player, and, you know, we've certainly been critical and we're not done being critical yet, but where does he fit in? Who does he fit in best? And what does he do for this team right now that simply can't move the puck, but Hironic can? Well, and that's a key thing. Like you are going to immediately notice that Hironic can move this puck more dynamic or move the puck more dynamically than anyone on this roster aside from Quinn Hughes. Um, you know, he's been a pretty consistent, like 35 plus uh, point producer, but a lot of his values tied up on the power play. And I don't know that he's going to play there for this team unless they're really insistent on going with 2D on the power play out of step with the way the league is evolving. Um, you know, Heronix 
One concern I have about Hironic is it's not like he's been at this level previously in terms of his two-way play, right? This really is a career year for him from a defensive standpoint. Um, if he can maintain those gains, then you've definitely acquired like a really solid 2-3 right-handed guy, mid-20s, cost-controlled, and team-controlled beyond this contract. Um, if that defensive ability regresses to where it's been the last few years then, you know, uh, it's going to be really hard to justify the sticker price uh, paid. But, I, I mean, I think this guy, just like Ethan Bear came in and fans were like, whoa, whoa, like Hironic's going to look really good on this team once he comes in just based off of sort of our level of expectation at this point for what defensemen can do with the puck. Harmon, I want to ask you a question. Um, 10% on ice shooting clip for Heronic this season, 930 on ice save percentage, uh, definitely inflated percentages. Um, does that concern you at all about, you know, Heronic's career year and the sustainability thereof? Yeah, I mean, it, it shows that his, um, you know, may, maybe some of his point totals are a bit stretched from where, where they may be. I think overall, it's going to be interesting to sort of look at, like the way I also look, view it is from the Red Wings' perspective, I'd, I'd love mm. to know internally how sustainable, and we'll never know, but internally how sustainable they felt. Because if this was a case where they thought he won't re- won't repeat quite this level of performance, then the Canucks are essentially kind of betting against what Iserman and the Red Wings see as well. But I will say that Heronic earlier in his career... This is sort of player that the rings were rebuilding. They barely had any talent on the blue line. And so he was often sort of thrown into the fire against the Wolves, where he had to log all these big, tough minutes, not a lot of help with his defense partner, not, not a lot of help with the quality, of the, uh, quality of the team around him. The fact that he's still on the younger end, I mean, that would be the bold case to sort of say, here's a player who's finally become a little bit more comfortable handling the the workload and and maybe you are seeing a player whose two a game is is finally starting to come together. The downside risk, however, is that yeah, I mean we saw it kind of with and this is different, right? Because there, there's an aging process, but players sometimes do you know um, see volatility in terms of their, for example, with Ekman Larson last year, he had a career year defensively, and we thought like legitimately myself included, we were like, okay, like hopefully he can keep this up. Now, again, same sort of different scenario where with OEL, he's so much older foot speed concerns. It's not analogous that way, but there's a player who had a career year defensively outlier compared to the rest of his year and then fell off. Now, again, I'm more bullish on Hronik being able to sustain this because of it, because of his age and because of his previous seasons where he was kind of just thrown, thrown to the wolves. Um, but it's not a guarantee is, is kind of what I'm saying. So, you know, I kind of, I know I went and shoot it off in a bunch of different directions. I'd sum it up as saying I'm more confident than not that he can, that he can be a reasonable two way contributor and be a high end top four defenseman. But it's, it's not a guarantee that we're, we're going to see a player who provides the same level of in zone defensive value as he has this season. And guys, just so just so we're aware, we're not going to go the full hour like we normally do on these live rooms. We've probably got about another 15 minutes. We will try to get to your calls if you're on the stage, so hang with us. But guys, you know, the three of us have debated this to, to this point about 
how this organization should be graded. Now, both of you have said, look, it's got to be a rebuild. It's got to be a teardown. Cut the bullshit with what they're saying. What they're saying is wrong. And certainly the marketplace agrees with you, right? And I feel the same way, to be quite honest. But I've said that I want to see whether or not they can live up to their messaging. And that's how I want to grade them. So while all three of us are saying, okay, look, they need to tear it down and rebuild. For me, I want to see at least if their actions fall in step with what they say they're going to do. And this trade does that. Because I think all of us look at it and we think the timing of this is wrong. He's 25, he'll be 26 next season. Um, This doesn't fit in with when they will be good. But all of that said, this is exactly the type of player they have said they're going to go out and, re- and acquire. We've kind of debated the sticker shock or the sticker price. Uh, a first and second may not be off. In Drance, for your case, you said if they would have just protected that pick, right, so that they, they don't wind up losing out if all of a sudden it's a top five pick next year uh, from the Islanders. Uh, but overall, you're not necessarily offended by the sticker price, barring it being a top five pick. So this is in line with what the organization has said they're going to do in building this team, whether we like it or not. So, you know, we, we've been around an organization that has had so much mixed messaging. This isn't necessarily doing that, even if the last three minor moves we thought might have been taking them in a more logical direction. Yeah, I, I think that, like, you know, the organization, when they've made the moves consistent or when they've said what their plan is, right? Like with the press conference uh, in January, for example, I think the market's been like, ah, oh no. And then they made the Horvat trade. And I thought there was like a sense of hope building, right? And then the Stillman trade and the Kratsov pickup, and there started to be some momentum. And, you know, you saw the reaction to Harmon tweeting about the team having more draft picks than they've ever had in their history in the first four rounds last night. Like that tweet. They must, they must have heard it. They must have heard it. They went, went fully viral. So at the end of the day, where, where we're at is not incompatible with where we've been at for much of the past decade, where the market is insisting that there's something that they are hoping for. The team is stubborn in behaving in a way that no other team in hockey behaves, right? Like there's no other team in hockey functioning this way. Um, You know, you could say the senators, but like the senators have way more points than the Canucks, way more cost certainty with their young core, right? And are, and are just pulling out of a rebuild. I mean, they have a a ton of young talent in, in a way that the Canucks have some of, but not the same volume. Even if you like Vancouver's young players more than any of their sort of Ottawa counterparts, which, by the way, I think is totally reasonable based on an assessment of Hughes and Pedersen. It's just that the Sens have like five of those guys. Now, they're not as good as Hughes and Pedersen. I, um, you know, that you'd sort of pick as third uh, among Vancouver's group, you know, before you'd pick the Bathersons of the world and Shabbat and Kachuk Norris. Stutzla, right? Like you get far down the list before you get to the next Canuck. Um, you know, Washington is a consistent playoff team, right? They, they, them doing the Sandine deal. Sandine's younger. He's a lefty, but he's younger. He's 1.2 for this year and next. Like that makes sense for a team that's raging against the dying of the light with a post window contender that actually won. Like the Canucks have won a third of their games in regulation across 200 games the last three years. They haven't made it out of a, the first month of the season. With a, with a playoff chance, a realistic playoff chance since 2019. Like, what, what are we talking about? 
right? Like this team giving up a first and a second for a win now piece. Come on. It just doesn't square. And so I think that's partly why the reaction to this deal has been so dramatic in the market. Um, you know, it, it, I think people at least thought the organization was willing to do a couple of patient things given their situation as opposed to the, the old hat stuff. And, and all reasonable hope got dashed uh, on Wednesday afternoon when the club made another reckless move. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You guys want to get to the stage and uh, let Graham, Tony, Chris, Jimmy, Calvin all weigh in? Let's do it. All right. Drench, you're in charge. All right. Graham. I'm inviting Graham to the stage. Gary? Hey, Graham, how are you? Good. I have to say, I'm glad I wasn't driving a golf cart this time while that news came across <laughs> my Twitter feed. <laughs> my God, man. I was, it was funny. I was actually listening to Canucks talk when it came across. And so I was just waiting for Jance's reaction to that. Like, <laughs> I was just waiting for the face palm. And sure enough. Yeah, you got it in a big way. Oh, okay. I just have to ask, do the... Does management or like just think that us fans are this stupid at this point? Like, I feel like every time this happens, we just get more and more mad, but like nothing ever changes, you know? Anyways, that's all I want to say, fellas. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. Cheers. Farhan, what do you think? Look, is, is from, the, from the fan perspective, guys, look, here, here's the bottom line. They're not listening. The only thing that this management team will listen to is fans not coming and fans keep coming, right? I mean, we look around and the building's still 90 to 95% full. Even if all the stories out there about how easy they are to get free tickets, people are coming. People are spending. The only way this changes, if you want it built your way, then you got to do something about it if you want ownership to listen. But as long as the building's full, none of this is changing. None of this matters. Yeah, I mean, are we there? Are we having the, the 1990s Toronto Maple Leafs conversation now? That's where we're at? Well, it was the late 90s Canuck conversation when, when Messier was here. People actually stopped coming for a period of time, right? Uh, you know, the, the thing we thought would never happen. And that's really where it has to go. And, it, and since the West Coast Express turnaround, the building's always been there. All right. Tony, why? Let's have you on the stage. Tony, how are you? Hey, guys. Uh, big fans of the show. Um, Thank you. Just a question. I, I mean, I, I think, like, it seems a, rather obvious to a lot of the fans out there that um, the team's pretty far away. And um, 
I mean, it, it just stands in contrast a little bit with, um, you know, what we know about, you know, Rutherford and Alvin's track record to date as being, you know, <clears throat> fairly sharp, um, you know, management folks. Like, it, the only re- like the only thing I can think of is like, is there a mandate you think from ownership to execute on a vision of a short term turnaround? Um, because I, I find it a little bit tough to believe that um, the Rutherford and Alvin just don't see the same things as the rest of the hockey world does uh, in terms of like where this team is at. Um, thanks, guys. Thanks, Tony. Um, look, I think this is one of those things where, you know, you the ownership factor is real, but I think it's more about like what they're hoping for, right? So it's like the, you know, ownership was looking for someone who would tell them that it got turned around and that made Rutherford appealing and they believe that it can be turned around and they spent a decade believing that like draft picks don't matter, for example. So why are you going to spend... 200k on buying draft picks a la the Minnesota Wild with your cap space, right? Like that's, I just think it's hard to turn around an organization that's believed one thing and an ownership group that's believed one thing for 10 years. I don't even think it has to be nefarious so much as it's built in assumptions about, about what to do. And, and as for, you know, um, whether or not that's like mitigating in terms of our judgment of Alvin and Rutherford, I, I just think like managing up part of the job. You know, like if you have to educate, if you have to manage up, that's part of the job. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't give hockey ops a, like carte blanche because of the demands of ownership. It's it's on you to sell your vision. That's my view. Yeah, and I, I do believe that I do believe they are legitimately aligned. I do believe Rutherford. This is what he wants. He, he doesn't yeah. want to get into this long haul rebuild. He believes he can execute it on this timeline. So I don't think ownership is forcing management. This is what management believes is the way to do this and how it can be done rightly or wrongly. Yeah. Chris H. We'll invite Chris H to the stage now. Stage is working pretty well, by the way. I'm sure I just cursed it though. You jinxed it just like harm with the draft picks. Let's give it five, five, four, three, two. Okay. Jimmy B. Let's see if this works. If it doesn't, I'm going to like have to leave and come back. Ah, Jimmy B, how are you? Jimmy, you got us? Jimmy, going once, going twice. You there, bud? Jim, Jimmy, unmute yourself. We think you're connected. Well, I really did jinx us, eh? Oh, you did. You had to say it. Am I here now? Oh, and go. I just X'd him as he said it. Jimmy, Jimmy, put your, Jimmy and Chris, put your hands back up and we'll try again. I'm so sorry. Calvin R, I'm going to give this guy like 30 seconds. Threw him away stage. prematurely like a first-round pick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no conditions. Took the risk. Hey, Calvin, it says he's on the stage, but let's give him like a bunch of time because I'm now nervous of doing Calvin the way I did our, our, our friend Jimmy. Calvin, you got us? Please tell me you got us. No, Calvin. Calvin. Should we go back to Timothy? No, because it's gonna it's gonna come in in like two seconds. Calvin. All right. I'm just gonna leave him on the stage and invite Timothy up. All right. Can you guys? You got us. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Uh, Okay. So, question for you guys: Are you ready to do this all again next year? 
<laughs> Always ready, man. Always ready to do this again next year. Uh, do you have a real question, though? Um, yeah. How, <laughs> how many more years of this nonsense before management realizes, or ownership, whoever it is, that we have to come up with a different plan? This retool and trading away futures just doesn't work. Thanks, Timothy. Um, Harmon, what do you think? I think it's similar to what Farhan said, right? Because from a business perspective, they're still doing well. And until there's, I think, meaningful change, there's there's not enough incentive, right? I, I mean, if you look across, like, forget just sports, but businesses in, in general, the only time there's a sharp impetus for a drastic sort of change in direction is when profits fall off a cliff, right? When all of a sudden you're looking at the financial statements and you're going, boy, something's going wrong. We need to fix this ASAP. And that, ha and that hasn't happened. So it's a tough spot to be in. And like, it's, it's just gone on long enough to where you're at a point where, I mean, unless it gets to the stage where, you know, you reach within, you know, what, whatever the term is where players start asking for trades out or something like it's going to take like something really, really far, I think, for it to for it to sort of go in a scorched earth direction instead of this uh, retool. So that's that's kind of how I view it. Agreed. Hey, Calvin. I see you're on the stage. Yeah, here. Can you hear us now? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Uh, so I just <laughs> big fan. I uh, just wanted to, you know, thank all of you for your hard work and uh, your commitment to the team and, uh, and covering the Canucks and all, all the sports. Now, I, I do also want to give a big shout out to Canucks Reddit. I know like everyone talks about Canucks Twitter, but the meme game on Canucks Reddit, you got to check it out. It's amazing. It is good. You got to uh, go. Yes, absolutely. Do. Uh, so uh, what do you what do you think about fans that are saying things like, uh, you know, I've been a fan for 20 years. I'm done. I'm done with this team. 50 years. I'm done. It's over. Um, are these people all just bandwagon flakes? Like, are they going to come back when it's good and leave when it's bad? Uh, have they not observed this organization over the last 50 years? Uh, don't they know that that pain uh, is always on the menu? Uh, and is there any way to salvage this trade deadline? Thanks, Calvin. Thanks, Calvin. So I would say that the fans considering um opting out of the team um you know i think we've already kind of talked about it in terms of the staying out you know i don't think there's any wrong way to be a fan i'm not going to criticize anybody for how they root or decide to support their favorite team um you know it, it i under i definitely feel for those who are exhausted by what they've seen over the course of a decade as as what was you know once a class organization um has diminished itself to be whatever this is um, Farhan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like, look, at, at the end of the day, this is, it just shocks me that here we are with a completely different cast of characters, right? And, and a management team that's got a resume, right? At the end of the day, I mean, you, you and I were discussing this before, that if Rutherford could have executed a cup team here, it might have been the greatest managerial resume in the history of hockey, right? Mm. To do it in a cap era, to do it with three teams, you know, a guy that when he came, everybody absolutely wanted to believe in the fact that it's kind of gone this way. And here we are again with the same type of short-term thinking and the same type of movement 
that we had with a general manager who nobody believed in on any level at all. So I, I'm surprised it's kind of turned this way this quickly. But, you know, from a fan perspective, I think the fans that get most upset and say I'm done aren't the ones going to games. They're the ones listening. They're the ones watching on television. They're the ones that are, that are you know, a, a quintessential part of Canuck Nation. They're not necessarily the ticket-buying public. And that's the only group of people that are going to resonate with ownership and, and by extension management. We'll see, though. I mean, like, just from an anecdotal, like, pure anecdotal experience, this is definitely not based on anything empirical. Uh, I've run into people... And this isn't, again, a large sort of sample, but few people here and there who've said, I've been a season ticket holder for a really long time, X amount of years. I think this might finally be the year that I'm done. So we'll see. I'm, I'm curious to see what impact this has in the fall. Well, and, and don't, don't be mistaken, right? Like, you know, renewals and on and on, like Boudreaux was a boon, to the club on that perspective, right? Like there was real hope in this market as recently as seven months ago and a real figure for that hope, you know, um, this time around it, it I do think it's going to be a tougher sell. I, I, you can tell with the reaction to these trades, right? Like this club's approach, um, you're not even seeing as many people like twist themselves into pretzels to defend it, you know, like increasingly, like the normie sports opinion in this market, people are like, oh man, I don't know about this. Let's go to Emily. She's been waiting a while. And if Montavi comes back, great. But we'll, we'll make sure we at least get to Emily before we get there. Yeah. Emily's on. How are you, Emily? Good, thanks. Um, I'm in Australia, so I can't exactly impact anything in terms of ownership things. So I was wondering if you think that Harmon's jinx on the team will continue and they'll keep dealing picks. I can see it. What do you think, Carmen? Should, should I now tweet out about how many years in a row they've had a deficit of picks in the first two rounds, trying to swing it in yes. the opposite direction? Yes, you should. You're 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 a commentator talking about a shutout. That's what you did. You really did. Twenty four hours. I blame I blame Harmon personally. Um, hey, I talked to you, Harmon, about the power that you wield. I, I accept I accept full responsibility and blame. All right, Adam C., I've invited to the stage. Adam, you got us? Nothing from Adam. I'm going to try Montavi again. Hey. hey who is this? Uh, Montavi. Hey, Montavi, how are you, bud? Good, how are you guys? Doing well. What do you want to talk about, my friend? Um, I'm just kind of like for all the fans that like want to get rid of their membership or their, their season tickets and whatnot and like leave the team, I'm just kind of wondering from your guys' opinion, like, how else would management be able to play this when they first came in last year? Like, is there a way to a different way they, sh they should have approached things or, or like figure out a way that they can, I don't know, find, find a way that works best with this team and the fan base. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Thanks, Montavi. And I want to be clear. Like I'm actually a little <clears throat> bit surprised that people are taking this conversation so wholly in this direction. I clearly polarized opinion to a deal that landed the Canucks a really good player. But, you know, I mean, I think management, I think this trade's probably the move that's like most consistent of almost anything we've seen with what management explained they wanted to do, right? Um, you know, the only, the only thing that I think 
sort of felt like it was kind of out of left field um, for me, based on sort of how they were talking about the team, was how significantly they doubled down on the group, given their communication about being skeptical about what they saw during the Boudreaux bump. Um, you know, aside from that, like, aside from the JT Miller extension, I, I suppose, like, I don't know, it feels like this was the sort of trade that they've been telegraphing for a while. What do you think? Don't yeah. you think this was, uh, this was consistent with what they almost led us to expect? I think if you, yes, based off of what Rutherford was saying in January, yes. I think when we saw the Horvat trade, though, and we saw them not target a win-now player initially, right? It wasn't as if Brandon Carlo was the centerpiece. I think for a lot of us, there was hope that, okay, maybe they're headed in a more future-oriented direction, or at least they'll hold off for a year even before trying to hit the accelerator again. And, and you know, maybe some of it was wishful. I'm, I'm sure some of it definitely was hopeful. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think p- part of it was just once the Horvat trade happened and it was future-oriented as opposed to win now, I think there was a bit of a sentiment shift, a bit more hope, that okay, maybe that this won't be quite as drastic of a let's fix this right away. Yeah, this is exactly what they said they were going to do. And as I said about 20 minutes ago, that you know, as much as we don't necessarily agree with it all, um, this is this is what was advertised, right? I mean, they were transparent about doing this quickly and two to three years. And whether we thought that was realistic or not, this was exactly the type of move. The only thing that is good here is that the Canucks still have their first round pick. Right. I mean, it, it, this is the type of move this organization was capable of doing with only their pick. So mm. it, it does. And we've lost far well, again, I'm, but yeah, yeah, I'm just putting think... myself on mute. Okay, I, got, okay. I got Luna whining in the background and you know, we, you don't want to hear from my <laughs> dog. We don't want to hear from Wallace or Luna. I don't know. I, I like to hear from the doggies. Well, I could ask her what she thinks. She's sour. Transfer, I've got a question for you. Yep. There's been now where I think we're all kind of waiting to see they've made the Sonic trade. What happens next? Of course, names like Besser have kind of been swirling in the rumor, rumor mill. Would your sentiment on the direction change at all if the Canucks found a way to shed his cap space and for shed his cap space and you know, like, does it shift at all? What would ha- what would have to be done for them to sort of justify this push? And is it possible to sort of plot out moves when you look at whether it's B- Besser, Garland, Miller, any of these sorts of guys, and whether it's at the trade deadline or in the offseason? Is there a way t- to open up enough flexibility to successfully execute some type of quicker turnaround? <sighs> it's a really tough one for me, Harmon, just because, like, when I think about the body of work at the deadline now, right? I mean, you dealt Bo, who was their only meaningful expiring. And, and you know, I, I'm thinking like since January 1st, right? Like I kind of view it as since January 1st, a team that was already facing like a, a pretty tough road from a, from a cap flexibility standpoint has added 12 and a half million worth of commitments for next season in Kuzmenko, Beauvillier and Heronic. And like, you know, 25-year-old, 25-year-old, 27-year-old, but for me, none of those are star-level contributors, you know? Um, 
I just sort of think that when you look at like this trade deadline, when you look at a world where Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe are significantly better assets than Patrick Kane, when you look at what Tra- Tanner Janot got, right? Um, adding that amount of cap commitment being over $80 million, like in Tampa Bay lightning zone with a team that's 26th in point percentage, like, you know, I don't necessarily care so much about the outcome, right? Like there's a world where Thatcher Demko is the best goalie in the world and starts 65 games next year. And this is a playoff team for sure. Right. But divorcing it from the outcome, just looking at it from a process perspective, like even if they can find moves to shed salary, those moves are going to be made off the back foot. Like it's even harder to shed deals when everyone knows you have to, right? Like that's why you see, Marlowe for a first. That's why you see Travis Johnson for stuff. That's why you see Jason Garrison go with Nikita Gusev in a first and expansion. Um, The Canucks have painted themselves in a corner. I haven't seen anything that tells me that this management group has a fundamental miss or a fundamental understanding of like the, the rare resource allocation contest that the NHL is, or that they have like a plan that's sensible uh, and doesn't change. Right. Like I really struggle to understand or square like this club signing JT Miller six months ago with Rob Rossi's reporting that the Canucks approached the Penguins about trading JT Miller. I really where acquiring a high value first round pick for Bo Horvat and then trading it for a 25 year old defenseman making four million. Like I struggle to understand why the club would have taken Beauvillier's contract back or more than that targeted Beauvillier in the return given the price of moving money and the price of moving term in particular that we've seen unfold on the market. Like all of it, all of it seems self-defeating. All of it seems, you know, like, like poor process to me. And so, you know, for me, this deal sort of fits within that. Um, can you make it work in terms of being competitive next year? Sure. Um, you know, maybe maybe, if they can get off of the JT Miller commitment, I think that's a home run, a no brainer, given how much, um, liability that deal represents from a, from a cap perspective. But I think the fact that they've done this move first, the way that they've approached it, right? Like I'd add this to you. Are you telling me that if the pick is fixed at 15th or 17th in the draft this year, and you approach the Red Wings on draft day after this season? Right. Having spent time prior to the draft, figuring out some of your caps, like you're telling me they won't, wouldn't have traded Hronik then for the first and the second. Like, wouldn't that have made more sense? Like, why now? Why, why paint yourself into a corner first? You know, like I, I'd add this. Why make having, yourself better? Why make yourself better and get and put yourself in a position? Well, no, for but, a worse but even if you're trying to make yourself better, like why eliminate all options for the offseason now, which is effectively what they've done? Like, one thing I'd add is that another shoe has to drop as a result of the money they've committed. But I don't mean by Friday. I mean, come this offseason, right? Like, they're going to have to do stuff or consider stuff like, you know, a, a Garland and or OEL buyout, um, trading assets to get off of other contracts, uh, finding a way off of Myers, right? Like, all of these moves, they're going to have to – there's other shoes that are going to have to drop simply because they're – going to struggle to ice a full NHL roster otherwise. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
it's an incomplete picture, but I don't think there's anything that can happen now that's going to change my view of the process or cause me to have confidence that management is operating at the level of complexity required to win in a league that's, you know, increasingly filled with wildly sophisticated operators. Does that make sense, Armin? Yeah, for sure. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can't, like, you absolutely went off there. And, like, I was more simply thinking in the sense of, like, how much could you realistically sort of reconstruct? Um, but you're, so it's just difficult. I'm trying to work through all this in, in my head, all these different possibilities. It also is unfortunate that Pittsburgh's initial move here was, after they cleared all that cap space, was a second round pick for Grandland, right? Because you would have loved if that would have been an opportunity to get off of a Besser or a Garland or a Miller, like some sort of opportunity to shed some cap and, and, you know, have that flexibility move, moving forward too. So it's going to be interesting, especially in an environment where we've seen trades the last couple days where cap hits with term have moved, but, by and large, it has still been pretty difficult to move those types of contracts. And I think if there were good deals on the table for either one of Besser or Garland, they would have already pulled the trigger. So, yep. All right. Let's leave it there, guys. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I know it's an emotional day for Canucks fans. Um, an interesting move. Let's let's call it that tactfully from Vancouver, <laughs> acquiring a really good defenseman, the type of defenseman they need. And yet it's wild, widely panned by fans in the Vancouver market. So it goes. An interesting day. Yeah. No question. We'll, we'll see what tomorrow brings. And then Friday, of course, is the deadline. And the three of us will get back on for a live room uh, at some point where, you know, again, uh, hopefully we get the chance to hear from Patrick Alvin. We can get an explanation for the totality of their moves and see what it looks like. Because I just don't think after what we've seen today that today is the final move for the Vancouver Canucks. So interesting that they chose this time to be a buyer. We'll see if they continue that trend over the next couple of days after moving some things out in a, in a positive fashion. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and I really have said this before. I think this is a lot of Patrick Alvin at the steering wheel here. Um, you know, I don't know that this is simply what we've seen in the first year where he was fully executing just what Jim Benning or sorry, what Jim Rutherford had in mind. Um, I, I think Alvin's hand is at the wheel here a little bit, so we'll see what it looks like uh, by the time we get to Friday, and we'll be on with you again. So thanks to all our VIPs. We love you all. You guys uh, uh, tuned into this episode with about 15 minutes of heads up. Uh, we had, uh, I think, 700 people on at one point, so that was great. And, uh, you know, consider us your, your one big therapy room, right, guys? With, with Harmon being the jinx. Yep. Happy to do it. Um, thanks to everyone who joined us. Shame on you, Harmon, for, for um, causing this to occur. And uh, we'll we'll see you again maybe on Friday. Maybe we'll maybe once the dust is all settled, we'll we'll do it again. All right, we'll talk to you then, guys. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs>